Hello and welcome back to the show. This is, of course, your host, David Scales. Today I'm bringing you an episode of Shaping Surfing with Dane Hance. Dane Hance is a surfboard shaper, of course, and his label is Vulcan Surf. And um, I'm not even sure exactly how I first encountered Dane. I'm almost certain it was on Instagram. And I think maybe um, Ron over at Board Porn mentioned that I should interview Dane at some point. Somebody, a listener, mentioned that. And so I started following Dane, and um, his boards are really, really incredible. But I had never met Dane prior to re- uh, recording this episode, which sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. Sometimes I know the guys in advance. Um, and it was interesting. I actually really liked Dane a lot. Um, Dane, I think in my in the best version of myself, I would like to think of myself as being creative and intelligent, and Dane is both of those things. And so a lot of what he talked about really resonated with me, and um, a lot of kind of his business, the way that he runs his business, the way that he views uh, life and work balance, and his philosophy in dealing with customers, all of it just really resonated with me, and you'll get all of that in this episode. Um, But I just wanted to mention that I didn't know Dane prior to recording this, and I really, really enjoyed uh, his company. And I haven't spoken to him actually since we recorded this, just a couple of exchanges of text afterwards, but I hope to maintain contact with him. Really enjoyed his company, and um, his boards are just incredible. So if you haven't yet seen them, you can follow him on Instagram. That's been a really good way um, for him to share his work. We also discuss the importance of Instagram in this conversation. But yeah, his boards are really incredible. If you need like a alternative high perform alternative shortboard, basically, but high performance characteristics, um, easy paddling power, all that sort of stuff. He's making really, really beautiful looking crafts, but by everybody's account, um, the boards are really incredible. So definitely give Dane a follow. Enjoy this conversation with him. You can find everything that he and I discussed in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, on Instagram at surfsplendor. Make sure to share the show with friends. That helps the show grow. You hear me say this stuff every single week. But whatever you've been doing, it's been working. The show has grown a lot. And um, it's been great to have recurring guests. Not only Scott Bass, of course, with Spit, but now Chaz with Grit. And then Dave Parmenter is going to be a quarterly guest as well, which I'm really looking forward to. You can always send feedback about those episodes or questions that you want those guys to answer, conversations that you want us to have, and um, I'll make sure to implement that in future shows. All right, until then, enjoy this episode of Shaping Surfing with Dane Hans. This is David Scales. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Um, I'll actually start the conversation with Instagram because I think you're a guy who's really benefited from that whole world. Um, and I guess also from the success of board porn, right? Like Ron over there has really embraced your work. And um, what's the experience been like with Instagram for you? Like what are the pros and cons of it? And do you like it? And- well, you know, I love it. And there's been tremendous benefit to running the business and helping establish Vulcan's, you know, awareness and what we do. Um, I haven't found any other way that's been so effective and efficient in getting your name out there 
uh, not just domestically but globally is Instagram, and I mean, it's essentially free. So yeah, um, that's amazing. It's really cool too because um, you know if you like taking photos and you like producing quality content, you can really take your time and um, I don't know orchestrate everything in a way that presents your product, um, you know, in an ideal light, which is awesome. I was going to ask you who's responsible for the photography. I am. You are okay, because not only are the boards beautiful, but like the photography itself is great. Like the lighting's killer. All the compositions are killer. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoy doing it, and um, it's actually it's funny because spring is, uh, for a number of reasons, is my least favorite time of year, and one of the main reasons is because you can't take good photos. Hmm. Uh, it's always so gloomy, and there's never good lighting. So it's it's always a bummer. Uh, plus the fact you end up if you do get good light, you know it's always late in the evening. So you know twelve thirteen hour days are <laughs> pretty common. But you know if if it, it really is worth it. I mean if you're going to present yourself, I think you might as well you know do it in the best possible light you can. Uh, literally, literally. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 awesome. There's a lot of negatives too, though. Um, but going back real quick to to Ron at board porn. Um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. He's really been an advocate, not just for myself and Vulcan, but for a number of shapers who uh, otherwise probably never would have seen the light of day or gotten the credibility that they've been able to establish through board porn as a, as a vehicle. Um, Ron is, uh, he's, you know, he'll try new things and he'll experiment with boards and everything has a legitimate shot. It's fascinating because he wasn't always that way. Um, he was, you know, a diehard, just pointing nose stressor guy. But somewhere along the line, he, he kind of broadened his horizons and, you know, started getting interested in not just alternative shapes, but alternative constructions as well, um, which I do both. So it's kind of a a good fit for both of us in terms of our, our friendship as well as our, our working relationship. Who is he? I, he listens to this show, and so, like, he's tagged me and stuff, <laughs> and he's messaged me, but, like, what's his backstory? Well, he, he did. Um, it's funny because when I got your email, um, Ron was the first person I've talked to, and he's actually been um, a good, um, I don't know, I, I guess a counselor, you know, uh, and has given me a lot of, like, um, advice and uh he had a lot of positive things to say about you, and uh, I said, "Oh, absolutely!" And you ought to to check it out and and do this interview. Um, so, um, from what I gather from Ron, he's a headhunter uh, for attorneys in New York um, who he surfs, and you know that's uh, that's his passion, and he's interested in surfboards and everything pretty much surf related. Um, I think it was almost surprising to him the audience that uh, he was able to create with board porn um and it's consistently grown so it's cool because you get folks from across the strata not just surfers but you know people that just like cool things or they like surf culture or even you know alternative construction it's it's rad it i'm shocked at how well his instagram has done it's surprising you know i mean it's not he's um curating obviously the best stuff from across the web so it's not surprising from that standpoint i'm just surprised how many people care about surfboards i guess because it's not just like i mean it is kelly slater and surfer magazine and all the main surf related instagram accounts that are following him but 
it's everybody. It's just random Joe Schmoes who don't even surf, who are interested in the craft and the visuals and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that part's been surprising to me. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up a, an important point, and that's curating. And one of the things I found that Ron has done is that he does actively curate his page. And I think that's really important. Um, I can't stand rude behavior, and you see a lot of it on Instagram. And, you know, my policy is, like, you never ought to say something to somebody over the Internet that you wouldn't say right to their fucking face. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Ron is, um, and and if if you have a page on Instagram, um, I constantly have to curate mine. For every post that, you know, we have, there's one or two comments that, I mean, they're, they're beyond just negative comments. A lot of them are just downright mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron's been really good at that. Uh, he, he really um, he takes care, and uh, he kind of weeds a lot of stuff out. And it's, uh, it's cool. People are allowed to express their ideas without being abusive. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard when, you know, honestly, like being a, a creative person, you know, people always say, well, you got to have thick skin and you got to do, I got plenty of thick skin. But the, the issue is, is that if you're really a, a creative person, creative inspiration is, is, it's like a vapor. It's there for like a little while and then it vanishes. And it's, it's anything other than a whisper can just blow it away. And if, you know, the wrong word in your ear can really steer the course of uh, your creative ambition. So you have to be careful with that. And um, I guess, I don't know, maybe I am a little sensitive, but it's harsh, especially in the surf industry. I found um, maybe broader than the surf industry, surf culture, um, it's an extraordinarily um, prejudiced. Uh, There's a lot of judgment. um, And you see that. I've seen it and I've heard it. so that can be that can be kind of tough. Interesting. Know? I think maybe this is similar to what you're talking about. There seems to be just like a boys club too. Very much. Where it's like if you're in it, you're in it and if you're outside of it, it's not intending to be prejudiced. It's just well, you're not on the inside. So, and I'm not sure how you bridge that gap sometimes how you get on the inside, you know. Just I don't think you really can. Yeah, I've never been in a cool guy club. I've never been in a clique. And well, it's it's the yeah, same it's, old guys being interviewed over and over in the magazines or the mainstream media. But I think that's what the internet, with board porn or with the podcast or whatever, it's democratized who's in and who's out. Definitely, you're all kind of like on a level playing field. Yeah, and that's awesome because and people can see and then judge for themselves. Wow, hey, that's awesome, or wow, I don't know, it didn't mm-hmm. do it for me. I like what you're saying about the creative energy just being a vapor i totally agree and i've haven't really thought of it that way before and i think that i have um, maybe undervalued that vapor a little bit and think like oh it's okay it'll come back but you're right it won't or if it does it won't be when you're feeling this particular way on this given day with this thing to say it's exactly and like i've always found that like if you have creative inspiration like you have to act on it immediately right uh, because it, it, it wanes. It waxes and it wanes. And, um, yeah, that, that's important. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so you have to be very wary of who you spend your time with or what energy you're kind of being exposed to. And Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, su- support, surrounding yourself with people that are supportive, like, and like-minded. 
definitely helps. And I've, I'm fortunate to have a, a really good circle of, of friends that I think we're all kind of like, you know, <laughs> I guess misfits that, you know, we're cohesive in that way. Yeah, but they're very supportive, and I support them. And, you know, the surf industry is, has been like the landscape has been kind of a nightmare scape for quite a while now. And from my friends to my crew that work here, I kind of feel like we've all been like on the same like leaky lifeboat. Right. Going through this, you know, this storm. And it's, it's, it's caused us to all be, you know, pretty close knit, um, which is awesome because the people, I, I don't work with anybody that's not a friend. And, and I feel like we're, we're supportive of one another in that way. So it's, it's pretty cool. Can you, how long have you been in it? How long have you been building boards? Uh, you know, I've built boards on and off all my life. Um, not just surfboards. Um, I know uh, everything from snowboards to surfboards to skateboards to race engines. Um, uh, later on, CAD CAM. Um, so just building things. Uh, I mean, even my own houses, too. So um, fabrication, construction, uh design and build is something that's uh, that's always been a constant in my life. So on and off I've, I've built boards, not always good ones. <laughs> um, I wasn't really even serious about Vulcan until I think 2012. Oh, okay. Um, so. Um, let's back up actually a little bit. Prior to building, how did you just get involved in surfing itself? Did you grow up surfing? Yeah, so um, I was born in Northern California. <clears throat> I was born in San Mateo. And we lived there until I was about six. And then at that time, we moved to Southern California. And uh, we moved to Point Doom in Malibu. And um, I had a, we had access right to, uh, you know, Point Doom. And Little Doom was right there. And that was where I grew up. I mean, not just surfing, but, you know, playing in the water, fishing, body surfing, like boogie boarding. The whole deal was really an idyllic childhood. Um, yeah, I can imagine. We had a lot, and we lived in a uh, was essentially a garage. Um, but I mean, when you're a kid, that doesn't really matter. It's more about the environment, and it was an awesome environment. I mean, I would honestly, I would give up five years on the end of my life to have one year back. Really? Yeah, in the '80s. Wow, absolutely, without a doubt. If I could recapture that, I mean, that's a incredible little area. That's like a. People who have been to L.A. have no idea that that even exists. They don't. Yeah, and it is. It's its own little microcosm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was interesting. You know, the people and the characters and the celebrities. And yeah. It was awesome. I remember Sean Penn and Madonna were married, like, three doors down on the point. What? From my dad's place. It was crazy. I remember that day. Wow. Um, Bruce Jenner, like, riding his... Sporty down like the you know PCH popping wheelies. What? Yeah, it was, it was nuts. There's so many things that changed, dude. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's just insane. Strider lives there now. Yeah, and like Reef Macintosh. I've been to his place up there. That's crazy. I know. That's rad to hear that they've done like so well that like they could do that. You know, honestly, Strider's wife's a real estate agent in Malibu, so I think that helps. That, that's definitely <laughs> got to help. Yeah. Thank good goodness for the wife, man. A lot of times they, they really pull the weight. That's cool. In the surf industry, they have to. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. making money in the surf industry. Yeah, you really do. So that's, that's cool. So you grew up there surfing? and Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, that was just kind of like what you did, you know. It was, uh, it was just the way it was. And it was, it was totally cool. It was 
part of like you know just the environment. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Malibu Park Junior High, and uh, it was cool. A lot of times we just did school and body surfed at Zuma Beach, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, you talked about working with your hands a lot in manufacturing and fabrication. When you decided to kind of take board building seriously, did you work under anybody? Did you have any mentors who were inspirational to you? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That it's it's. Um, I learned a lot from like from different people, different laminators. Um, learned a lot from Javier at uh, XTR and Epoxy Pro, uh, and the. His laminator, Pato, who's probably one of the most gifted, not just laminators, but composite laminators uh, in the industry. And also just a really good person. Uh, so learned a lot from Pato. And, um, yeah, it's, I'd say various people over the years, but a lot of those things that I know are honestly self-taught. I'm not like a, a super social person. Um, and I've always tried to rely like on myself okay um for my own way of doing things um and i think that that reflects in not just my boards but um in my business philosophy as well like we rely on no one i mean if it's not made here in my factory under this roof i don't do it so that's um with the exception of blank fabrication from U.S. obviously, but we've even done a fair amount of like uh, hot wire and billet EPS, fabricating our own blanks. Um, that's tough though because we just don't really have a space for it. But I've always tried to just really rely on myself, do things my own way, kind of like focus on what I'm doing. And I think you see that a lot in Vulcan because uh, if there's one thing I consistently hear is people say, "Wow, there's nothing like your boards. I've never seen anything like that. It's they're just totally different." Um, and so I think that's a good thing. It's almost I, I think of like Australia, the way things have evolved there, you've got all sorts of weird creatures that kind of evolved in, in isolation, mm. uh, you know, in, in strange and wonderful ways. And I think there's a lot of value in that because, again, if you have creative inspiration and, and you look at it like a vapor, it's very easy to pollute that idea or to change the course of your thinking or your, your creati- creativity. So it's important to, to protect that. You said um, that customers say that the boards are unique what are you building so i do um in terms of construction or in terms of shapes we're gonna break it all down okay um so you know in terms of construction one of the things that uh inspired me um early on was that you know we've kind of seen the same uh, construction technology in the surf industry over the decades and you know it works absolutely uh, it's incredible but you know we're also relying on uh, going on 50 plus year old antiquated technology and there's other ways of doing things uh, there's other ways of building boards and that was something that was always really intriguing to me uh, in coming up with different constructions whether it was you know poly or epoxy i've worked with polyurea uh different polyurethanes um all sorts of things it was never really bound to any one thing um so and 
I think that's important because I know there's a lot of, again, prejudice. People say, oh, epoxies are terrible or, oh, this and that. But I, I don't operate within those constraints. So I've always been free to kind of just do my own thing. Um, the industry is notoriously slow to adapt new tech, basically. It's, it's yeah, incredibly, incredibly slow. And surfers are, by and large, they're very conservative. Right. I um, agree. And they're also very nostalgic, too. Yep. Um, and that can be that can be challenging. I can remember, you know, when I first started coming out with some of uh, my stringerless epoxy constructions, there was a lot of acrimony. Um, whereas now, like, you're definitely seeing way more alternative constructions in epoxy. I think it, it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. really cool. So, explain to listeners exactly what construction uh, materials you're using. You said, obviously, EPS and epoxy. Yeah. What else you got going on on the so, boats? Yeah. Um, you know, we do, um, let's see, like uh, convex construction is uh, EPS and epoxy. What is convex? So convex is a stringerless construction, uh, whereas the shell of the board provides structural integrity uh, through the use of corrugation. Got it. Um, it's a monocoque construction, um, and you know there's a number of benefits over using a traditional wood stringer, um, and it's one of the only ways I know of to simultaneously increase the structural structural integrity of any material without adding more shit in. Um, it's actually cor- reducing, right? You're reducing, eliminating foam. Exactly, you're eliminating foam, um, and it uh, you ex- by adding corrugation you exponentially increase the strength to weight ratio right um, for you know I, I always use the analogy of um, corrugated metal roofing uh, the sheet metal that's used for a corrugated roof is is very flimsy um, but when it's corrugated there again you've uh, increased the strength of um, of the material um, I know of no other way uh, no more efficient way to increase the structural integrity of anything than corrugation. And a lot of people have, have looked at the convex boards, and it, you know, I think at the first blush, and there's two things they think: one, it's ornamental, or two, you know, Stretch did it back way back when. Um, it's not a grab rail, um, and grab rails are cool; they feel great, but um, you know, they don't really increase the structural integrity of the board like. A full corrugation does, and um, I can show you that. Matter of fact, you see that tape measure that's right here. So, for the listeners, it's basically the corrugation is just along the rail line, maybe an inch inset from the rail, or yeah, two it's, inches. It's, it's about an inch and a quarter in. Uh, it's uh, in a parabolic configuration. Got it. It's widest and deepest at the point load area of the board, like in the middle where the majority of the stress is, and then it's tapered towards the nose and tail to allow those areas to flex more independently. Got it. Uh, and what I was going to illustrate to you is, like, just taking a tape measure, um, you know, these are curved, and um, imagine that this is like a single grab rail. Yep. And it's positioned on the board right yep. here on the deck. There's not a lot, you know, if you, if you press on it this way, if the point load uh, is this way, but if you flip it over. Yeah. Okay. That's the principle of convex, and that's why I went so far out of my way is to try and patent it. And I don't know if that was really a good idea or not, um, business-wise, I'm not sure. Um, but I was very proud of the, the idea, and it is 
Um, it's very valid. I've done thousands of convex boards that have gone to real serious places, the Maldives. Uh, Marty Allen had one that he surfed for like three months straight at Snapper Rocks. Uh, he had said like there was plenty of circumstances where the board should have snapped, but it didn't. Um, as a matter of fact, we have yet to see one break. Wow. So I've seen a lot of str- stringerless technologies out there. Um, and I've even started a dossier of broken stringerless boards. Hmm. Um, so I've seen a lot of stuff that I don't think is is really a good design. This is definitely one of them. And it's people look at it and they think, you know, it's, it's oh, wow, it's really techy or whatnot. Corrugation is actually a, a natural phenomenon. Yeah. And you see it everywhere in nature. Yeah. Um, anywhere uh, a material needs structural integrity. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing. I've always thought, like, the simplest way to explain it is, like, if you just had a flat piece of paper, just a thin sheet of paper, right. you could easily flex it and bend it. If you just put a crease down the center... And then try to bend the paper. There you go. Yeah. It struck. It strengthens it. Yeah. You know. You ever see like so. palm fronds? Yeah. I did a post on that on Instagram so people could kind of understand what the principle was. Palm fronds are corrugated, and it's one of the few leaves that will stand withstand hurricane forces. It's, yeah. It's amazing. Super simple. Yeah. So it's simple. So it's efficient. Um, it's weird looking, but it does work. But all the best design is simple and efficient. Yeah. You know. Exactly. So. Um, I've also done epoxy over poly, which I really like. Uh, it's the, uh, the fusion drive, which is actually a, uh, a hybrid lamination. So that's a, an amalgam of epoxy and polyester resins. Um, and I, I've worked with some other things that uh, I think they're really cool materials, and I think they could have value, but um, there's still some development that needs to happen there. Yeah. Um, but there are things that uh, are that could be even superior to both and less toxic too. Let's talk about what does superior even mean? Are we talking about just the extending the life of the board itself? It, or? It, yeah, it really depends. It really depends like on the surfer, the conditions, um, and, and how they surf. Um, it's, you know, I'll have people that will ask, well, I want a really, I want an indestructible board. I just want it to last forever. Well, it's, you know, yeah, I can do that. It's going to be a piece of shit, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, you, know, you can make boards pretty tough. But I always find that there's like an inverse relationship between, uh, you know, not just longevity, but, you know, as well as weight. Um, so those can be things that you need to balance. I mean, I like epoxies and EPS construction if conditions are ideal. Um, if it's smooth and it's glassy, um, they just feel incredible. And they've got a lot of uh, spring EPS is, um, you know, when it flexes, it you know stores a lot of potential energy, and then it rebounds and recoils real hard. Plus, the fact that having the, like the lightweight, it's like wherever you put your front foot, the nose of that board is already there. So it's it's pretty cool. But um, when you get into you know uh, textured conditions or offshore, that can be really challenging. And for the average surfer, that can uh, equate to like a lot more management that they might otherwise be used to if they were surfing like a poly board. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I've learned along the way too is just that you know light isn't always better. Okay. You know, and you can make boards stupid light uh, to the point where they lack drive uh, and they're unstable. Um, so if uh, a good way of looking at it is like. 
the law. You know, I, I, it was funny. I went on this really bizarre kick of making like the the lightest board. It was like this this journey to get there, and I finally got there, and I found out it sucked. <laughs> it didn't work. It was cool to like show your friends, you know, and like have people pick it up and go, "Wow, this thing's so light. It's insane." But hey, you take it out and surf it, and it's like, yeah, it's not that great, man. And that's tough because, like, as a, is not just a shaper, but as a board builder uh, and a developer, like, you have to be really honest with yourself. Um, and does this thing really work? Does it meet the objectives that I set out to to establish or to achieve? You got to be you got to be totally honest. Does it work or does it not work? Is it does it? And it, yeah, so that's uh, that's been interesting. It, it seems like with design, not just surfboard design, but all design. Designers push things, things to a limit, kind of figure out where the breaking point is, and then it always gets scaled back to somewhere kind of maybe not in the middle ground, but somewhere beyond what the limit is. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, and, uh, you see that like in the auto industry, I'm thinking, you know, when you see the concept cars and everybody's like, wow, it's so insane. Yeah. Uh, and there's the production version. And it's like, well, we, we kind of lost something. But um, where surfboards are concerned, yeah, it's it's um, that can be kind of tricky. Um, you know, when I found that out about you know weight and the like, the law of inertial mass. Uh, you know, I moved on to you know different laminations and different um, what's the word? I guess different combinations of blank uh, as well as lamination and resin. Um, been able to make boards that have a good weight. They've got not just a good flex, but like good recoil and spring, because mm. that's a huge, huge part of it. And that's one of the reasons I really like um, not just stringerless boards, but but monocoque constructions. Um, is you're you're relying on you know the basically the shell of the board uh, to have your structural integrity, and when you're using uh, composites in your lamination, like you know, you see, we use like a lot of uh, carbons and different carbon weaves. Um, the rate of mechanical fatigue is um, it's way better than a wood stringer. So, and you know, I think everybody's had like a favorite poly board. I know that I've just loved to death, and that one day when they just don't have it anymore, uh, I've definitely found that you know. With, some of the stringless boards and some of the uh, the complex laminations we do, incorporating the different composites, you can have boards that have like a greater life um, and an awesome feel too. Uh, yeah, there's some bugs, but you can make some neat things. It's, it's awesome. So, just to kind of reset for the listener exactly what you're talking about when you talk about that inverse relationship. Generally, what we're dealing with with surfboards is like you can make an indestructible board. Yeah, but it's going to um, suffer in performance capability, obviously. Or yeah. you can make a super high-performance board that is lightweight, maybe, but it's going to fall apart after you do one air reverse if you're a pro <laughs> or whatever. So that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, I mean, there's, there's, there's ways to mitigate that, obviously. Um, but, you know, it, it is kind of a truth, and... The other thing is, is like me personally, I, I don't want my boards to last forever. You know, I, I want them to have like you know their lifespan and get good and beat in, and they, they feel awesome, and you know it, it, it's such a good feeling. But 
you know, you, you're, your surfing is constantly changing. Your, your body mechanics and your body English is constantly changing. And what mm-hmm. might have worked for you, you know, back then, like, you have different needs. And that isn't just applicable to surfboards. It's applicable to, like, your fins as well. Um, so, you know, I've gone back and, and surfed old boards that, you know, I remember at one time I thought, oh, this is, you know, this is the pinnacle of what I can do. And gone back and surfed them and found out that, like, wow, you know, I've really, my surfing has evolved. So your needs change. So I'm, I'm always kind of wanting to move on and move forward. I don't really want those boards to last. I don't, I don't really need them to last forever. Okay. Um, I, I'm curious what your objective is then if the boards aren't designed to last forever. Well, or from even just from, like, a performance standpoint, what is the objective with the boards that you're building? Um, you're obviously making alternative shape short boards, I would say, is kind of how I would define what you're doing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what's your ambition? Um, my ambition is to I really focus um, on you know, fishes, planting holes, and step downs. Um, I would say that that's like the majority of, of what I do and where I've had success. I try and make boards for guys like myself, you know. Um, we surf in Southern California. We don't have island-type waves. Yeah. Um, boards that have got to paddle good, they've got, they've got to paddle great, because not only are you dealing with, you know, a weaker wave, but you're also surfing against a very aggressive crowd. Um, so, you know, those things are important. Speed, uh, obviously, is, man, you learn so much about what makes a board fast in San Diego. Um because, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you'll know if a board is fast or if it isn't. And I've made some turds where, you know, I've tried some different things and they immediately get eliminated from the gene pool. Yeah. Because uh, I need them to be fast. I need them to paddle fast. Um, I'm not the lightest surfer in the water. So, you know, most of my boards, um, I would say, accommodate guys that... Um, want to serve performance boards in a smaller format but you know they're a little bit larger than like the average kid i don't focus on kids at all oh, okay really um so it's 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 kind of like just refined down to that i found that those those three things like the fishes the planing hulls and the step downs are really accommodate what i want to uh, accomplish for you know myself as well as the guys that, that buy my boards, and I typically find that they're they're guys like me, you know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the boards they look like spaceships, like they look futuristic, and they look like they would deliver on everything you just said in terms of paddleability and speed. Question I always have is like, um, there seems to be so many variables that are hard to track. Yeah. In the design, firstly, but then also every wave that you ever surf is different. So it seems very hard to actually objectively define what, how a board will flex. For example, like we've talked about, surfers are traditionally um, conservative and not apt to change. And I think that is partially because of those things. It's like, look, I know what a center stringer will feel like in a polyurethane blank, and I know how it'll flex. And so I just want to, refine that process from my 6.6 down to my 6.4 or whatever and the boards you're doing have multiple stringers and glue lines and 
construction. So right, and and yeah, and I get that with people. It's like it's it's very easy to understand. Like you know, the average surfer who's you know he's working, and you know we've all got bills and expenses and things like that. Dude, it's really hard to plunk down you know that money for something that may or or looks so weird as like some of the boards do. Uh, so I, I get that. I mean, it's a huge leap of faith sometimes um, for a guy to deviate from the norm, you know, and the accepted standard, something he knows is going to work. Yeah. Um, versus something that's really maybe experimental. Um, so I, I really um, appreciate and applaud the people that have, have taken the leap and given the boards a shot. Um, it reminds me, we need to do more demos, really. Um, to oh, get, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's something that, I know I've been meaning to do for quite a while, just so people could see and go, wow, they really do work. Do you end up with um, used boards for that purpose? Like, do you have your own boards that you make yeah. available used? Yeah, or? exactly. And, like, you know, our, they go immediately. I mean, as soon as I post something, like, they're gone. Like, we had eight boards. Um, they were all demos and such that, you know, we didn't have a specific set demo. People would come into the factory and just try something okay. and bring it back. But, yeah, they get sold Um very quickly um but uh well let me ask you talking about all the variables that we're trying to control for yeah yeah oh go ahead if okay. you have something um yeah it's very nebulous yes it's, it's extraordinarily nebulous like what what works what didn't work and i feel like you really don't know that until you've made multiple iterations of the same board right um that i don't think there's any one way any more uh, effective way of isolating what's working or what isn't working. Um, and I've done that with nearly all of my boards, and I go through a lot of them. So, you know, let's say I'll have, like, I don't know, a tomahawk. I was on, like, a 5.7 tomahawk for a long time and building the exact same board, incrementally changing things and seeing how it would work. Um, you know, I'm really big too on like ripping out thin boxes and resetting them. Hmm. Uh, so I've done that, you know, maybe three, four times on a single board uh, to see how things are working, what, how this will affect the way it turns, how it's going to affect drive. Then rebuilding the boards in different constructions. This one's in convex. This one's in fusion drive. This one's just a stringer epoxy. This one's a stringer poly. And you can see how they all perform. Um, but to try and, and venture a guess as to you know, what one single thing is, is doing on a board, you know, it, with, with just the board as well as the surf conditions constantly changing. Exactly. It, it's almost impossible. You don't know until you've really surfed them and shaped them and built them. I, I think that's plus, you know, why I've had a lot of success with Vulcan too is, is you know, I'm not just a shaper, which... especially nowadays I think that's a romantic idea and I don't don't think that the idea of just a shaper alone even exists anymore yeah I think you've got to be able to do it all you've got to surf you've got to shape you've got to laminate you've got to sand you've got to like set fins you've got to foil fins like you've got to know it all you really got to bring it you know yeah but I think if you have that you have a tremendous advantage over just a shaper alone you have like the acumen um, to ascertain, you know exactly, you know what's going on. You know exactly how the board was built, um, so there's no question in your mind. Um, but yeah, in, unless you've built that board multiple times and you've surfed it yourself, 
There's no way of knowing. I heard recently of a, a, a really well-known shaper, and he was, they were asking him questions about uh, a specific board in his lineup, and he had said that he had never surfed it. I thought that was the most incredible statement I had ever heard. Why shocking. F- it was shocking. Why would I even buy that board if you can't speak firsthand? Yeah. That's, inc- that's an incredible statement. Yeah. Um, I talked to shapers who are like, oh, I haven't surfed in 10 years. But they're still building boards, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. It, it, it is interesting. Um, you, you know what I actually like hearing you say is I'm asking you to how do we isolate these variables and see how they perform? And you saying it's impossible. I, I find most people trying to argue that they can identify and isolate those variables and objectively define how certain design characteristics work. And I know that there are hydrodynamic principles that are objective, but there's too many variables. And so I, I felt like, just from looking at your boards, I felt like you were an engineer, but from talking to you, you're much more of a creative than I think you are an engineer. It, it's, a few, it's, a, it's an amalgam of all principles. I really, I believe that the, the ultimate board, I mean, what I strive for is, you know, a board that's, built well it surfs well and it looks fantastic um because i'm big on biofeedback i think if something looks cool like you know it just it feels good and you're Mm -hmm. more apt to have confidence in it but it's got to it's got to be hitting on all levels it's got to be built well it's got to be designed well sure all those things have to be in place and yes i totally agree if um it's too nebulous to try and narrow it down unless you build the exact same board and change something so you know exactly what that one thing is. Uh, I, I'm dubious that you could ever isolate what one thing is having an effect on your shape. Even in that example you just gave, it still isn't equivalent because you're surfing it on a different day. Absolutely. Or, or you might even be surfing it the same day, but the conditions change all the time. And you're fatigued as the surfer when you take the second board out compared to the first. I had a funny misadventure um, that is uh, kind of relevant to this this conversation. That I had a session one day. I made a board that had it was a short board. It was a it was a five eight. Uh, it was a Pantera, and I had taken the tail rocker. It had this really exaggerated flip on the back end, and um, I was surfing. Uh, I surfed suckouts, and I surfed Ponto. It was real steep, and um, it was over the course of a week that we had really good, really good swell. And I had some of the most phenomenal sessions. They were just so incredible. It was so memorable that it changed the course of my design principles for a, like a solid year. Wow. And what I found was that design feature that accelerated uh, rocker out the back end it only worked for that narrow bandwidth of swell oh my gosh <laughs> i found in every other conditions it sucked it just didn't work and it was so hard and that goes back to like what i was saying before if, if you're if you're if you're a board builder not just a shaper you're a board builder you've got to be brutally honest with yourself you really do it, it requires that does this thing work or is it a case of, well, it doesn't not work? That, that's not good enough. It's definitely not good enough for a board that I expect somebody to pay money for. Yeah. Um, it's got to work in the broadest range of conditions possible, not just that one you know, big Wednesday or that, 
oh, that awesome swell where it was glassy and offshore and mid-tide, whatever. Um, yeah, it's that can be tricky. It's funny. As you were talking about it, I was like, it's almost akin. You could. It's almost akin to music, where it's kind of like, I can't just say, "Oh, I like bass guitar," and then listen to every song that has bass guitar and go, "Oh, I like that because it has bass guitar." It's that in some songs it works great, and in some, when I'm in a certain mood, maybe I want classical, and when I'm in a different mood, I want rock and roll. It only is applicable at different times in your life. And you can't actually isolate the variables of a song, or even a, crit- a, a critic can't even say, this is what makes a good song, this yeah. construction. Yeah. It's just, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know? It's funny you said bass, because I've been listening to uh, Royal Blood. I just downloaded like their last album. It's insane. It's, you know, it's, it's just drums and the guy on bass, and he runs his bass through multiple pedals, and it's mm. just got this incredible, like, huge but crisp gritty sound it's rad if you haven't heard it I no i haven't it. it's it's fucking awesome it's like uh racing a semi truck around laguna seca or something it's just got yeah. the coolest sound i love that so anyways but but weird, Apple, <laughs> weird segue no but seriously that it's relevant because it's like that has a time and a place and i think that it's hard to explain to non-surfers maybe the women you know, in our lives where it's like, hey, I need 30 surfboards. And they're just like, what? What? You know, different one for each day of the month? But well, yeah, you can't you shoot the whole do, course right? with the pitching wedge, man. It's no. Like, yeah, you, it definitely you need different boards. Um, but I, I really, I try and focus, like, uh, you know, on my designs as well as the constructions and boards that will handle the, you know, broadest range of, sure. of wave types and conditions. I really like, I, I know when I have a really good board, when it performs so well that I'm willing to take it into circumstances that it's absolutely not designed for mm. and still have like, you know, a reasonable amount of success. Mm. Um, that's when I know that it's a really good design. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's a winning combination. Yeah. Um, can you explain where i mean i'm curious about the business of the surf business i think a lot of listeners don't fully understand how it works explain where we're at what the business of vulcan is and um uh you know what are the challenges wow with doing what you're doing (laughs) because uh, like let me let me break it down real quick or maybe prep you like what you're doing requires a tremendous amount of R&D. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like you need to build boards, surf them, figure out before you're willing to put it out in the public. But I think traditionally the way this business has been built is very thin profit margins where everybody gets a bro deal. Yeah. And so guys come in here and they're just like, uh, you know, my buddy recommended it. Can I get a deal? And so yeah. you can't actually do the R&D when you're running on those thin margins. So talk about the business of Vulcan. And- well, um, I'm glad you asked that because it's, um, it's, it's very relevant to, you know, our, our, our success. And, you know, as I mentioned to you, that we, we rely on nobody. And it's really been beneficial to us because we do everything ourselves. So our margins are greater. Um, if I was just a shaper who was dropping my shape off at the glass shop, um, I, I know guys that do this, and I don't know how they even do it because right. you're just not you're trading dollars. The wife works. Well, That's how it works. Yeah, exactly. The wife, where she's the realtor. Um, but it 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 doesn't. Yeah, that's in 
It's incredible. And I, I think that there's a huge misconception. Like, and, and I try and like uh, educate uh, a lot of people about this. There's a difference between cash flow and profitability. Absolutely. So, and a lot of surfers are not business people, and they get those two principles mixed up. You can have a lot of movement, and you can trade a lot of dollars, and not be any farther down the road than you were five, ten years ago, yep. twenty years ago. And the road to Oceanside is paved with the dried husks of all the people that came and went and didn't make it in the Valley of Broken Dreams. Yep. Um, yeah, margins are really thin. That's why when I said earlier, I think that the the romantic notion of just the shaper alone is is dead. Um, I know from running this business and building boards and selling them, um, you got to be able to do everything, dude. And one day I can be doing shaping, glassing, setting fins, accounting, baking, fucking whatever it takes. Sweeping. Sweeping, you know. Um, the other thing that, uh, you know, but if you can do that, you really, you know, you save yourself. You know, you're just, I guess, like the sweat equity, you know, of, of building boards. And, I wouldn't have it any other way because I want to build my boards. I mean, aside from like, you know, loving surfing, I love building boards. It's stupid, but it's almost like Forrest Gump when he mowed the lawns even after he was a billionaire. Like, he just did it because he liked doing it. And I do this because I like doing it. And it, it, I think that's, you have to have that mindset, especially now where the margins are thin and the competition is insane. It weeds out a lot of the weak hands, and what's left is the people that really deserve to be here because they're the ones that would have done it if they made money or they didn't. Yeah. Um, I think you have to understand that. And I don't try, I, I and mean, honestly, and I don't want to build a lot of boards. We're probably like between five and six boards a week right now. Okay. And I don't really have any ambition to go beyond that. Um, there's an inverse relationship between inventory and price and you're dude go up to Huntington and look at just the sea of short boards it's insane there is only so much surf shit you're gonna cram down the gullet of the community we don't need any more boards we don't need hordes of Vulcans even yeah. what we do need is we need really good boards we need like unique boards we need unique technology um, and really, it's the only way I, I can see to, to make any money in this game. Check it out. If you're going to go out to dinner, would you order a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> you fucking wouldn't. You can make it at home. Yeah. Why would you do that? You wouldn't. And to tell you quite honestly, like the average shade tree guy, and there's a lot of them now, they build their own boards at home. They can build it. It's well within the capability totally. of the average person. And that's awesome. But when it comes to running a business, why would you strive to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Now, if we're talking about filet mignon, all right, well, now it's just a horse of a different color. This takes special uh, products, takes special equipment, it takes special training in order to do that. And if you want it, you must pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I recognize that. So I try and build incredible boards. I try and build like things that are really unique. I try and build things that, you know, aren't just ornamental, but they hit the three things I talk about. They're built well. They're designed well. They look fantastic. 
you got to hit it. You got to bring it on all those those areas. Otherwise, you're just another drop in the bucket, and we don't need any more of that. You gotta. The other thing is too is like when when you've done that, you really have to believe in yourself, and that means quantifying your worth. What are you going to charge for this fucking board? I'm seeing all these guys out here, and it's prostitution of the industry where they're making these boards and they're selling them for 300 bucks on Craigslist. Let me tell you something. If Instagram was the benefactor of the surf industry, Craigslist, dude, I mean, it's insane. It's the worst. It's the worst. Why would you do that? And I've confronted people in the water. Have you? Oh, you bet. Shapers? Who you, you bet. Absolutely. And I think it's incumbent upon anybody who's in this business and carries, cares about it to do the same. Yeah. You want to talk about localism? Dude, that's like, this is my livelihood. 300 bucks? you got to be kidding. Yeah. That's insane. That's insane. You know, I do millwork and design and scan for a lot of people uh, in the business. And, I have them, and there's a lot of people I just will not work with. I will not support that. I will not be a part of it. Um, it's interesting. Um, I think that there is – the market is growing on both sides. Like I think that there's – more and more $300 boards. Like, Walmart is busier than ever. Yeah. But at the same time, the artisanal furniture manufacturer is busier than ever. I, I mean, maybe the middle's going away. You know, it's like $300 boards on one end and $1,000 boards on the other end. I, I think, yeah, I think the middle is going away. And um, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's shaking out the weak, weak hands. It's thinning the herd. Yeah. Uh, and what will... You know, there always will be a place for the top three percent. There's always going to be a place for the guys that you know that really have something special. Um, you know, the guys that are just you know like the also rounds or they're not they're not demanding what they're worth uh, in terms of a price point. I'm I'm hoping that they're going to go away. You know, <laughs> I'm hoping that we'll be left with more of the people that, that really deserve to be there. You know, but it's it's also too like you have to look at it like the sales model is changing. Also, um, there's things that are gonna exacerbate that that idea of like the the middle ground disappearing. Um, a lot of people we know are changing the way that they shop. Yeah. Um, and I was just uh, let's see. Let me look something up here. Give me one second. Take your time. So, you know, as far as, like, the middle ground disappearing and um, factors in the market and the way that people shop uh, having an effect on that, I mean, check this out. Uh, I'm not going to say who this is, but what do you think that this is going to do? Oh, yeah. To the shops when that is back in inventory. Yeah. Okay, so all the people that have jumped on board with this, you know, and with, you know, uh, taking advantage of insane consignment terms and, you know, like this big free ride. What do you think is going to happen to these guys when this thing is back in stock? Yeah. Okay. Dane, by the way, for listeners, Dane's showing me his phone, a surfboard available on Amazon. So It's Amazon Prime. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking at one of these uh, Amazon Prime facilities. It's actually down by one of the uh, surfboard manufacturers in Carlsbad. And it's incredible. Um, this is a, a new business model. Not only do they deliver these products, but they'll warehouse it for the manufacturer, too. They will warehouse your product and deliver it as well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me tell you something, they can do it a thousand times more efficiently than you know than you can in, in your in your business. It's it's insane. The trucks are just flying out of there. Oh yeah. They'll store it for you, oh, drop ship it. Yeah. Like yeah. So I mean that's something that's really gonna have an impact and we have yet to see what the long term ramifications are of uh, of that business model, how it's gonna affect us. Well uh one thing I'm concerned about for you is like a classic um, limitation with small business and doing the things the way that you're talking about doing them by yourself, blah, 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 is just burnout. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do you mitigate that? How do you maintain high quality product, all that stuff without getting burned it's, out? It's, it's really easy. I'm a surfer first. I'm a businessman second. To end the story. It's your therapy session. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why else, you know, I would do this. And, like, for those guys that you say that, you know, I haven't surfed in 10 years, the guy, the shapers that don't even surf anymore, that'd be really tough, man. I mean, I get really anxious when I'm shaping boards now, and, like, people, customers are calling, oh, I'm leaving for my trip. Is my board ready? And this and that. Well, I want to go surf, you know? Um, so my business model of super high quality, super unique, low volume, High price works out nicely for me because it, it really it, it 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 vets my clients. You know, it, it narrows them down to like a real specific guy. That's the person who I want to build boards for. Um, so, and it also allows me to to manage like my workload and, and my burnout level. You know, because yeah, you know, we all get there, but yeah, being a surfer first and then a businessman. I think you know, I have my. I've got my priorities straight, and that definitely helps me um, over the long haul. How long did it take you to figure out that balance? Um, it took me a long time, honestly. And I, I um, it's it's weird. I didn't really begin to understand like how I work. And it it sounds like such a stupid statement, but it's a lifelong thing. It's a lifelong thing, and I, I probably not until my thirties, mid thirties, did I really begin to understand how do I work? Like, what makes me happy? What makes me sad? What makes me depressed? Um, One of the things that I know like made me real depressed was um, my susceptibility to um, being a workaholic. Yep. You know, you get carried away. Like I was saying earlier, you get like a creative inspiration. And um, I have a habit of taking things to almost illogical extremes, you know. <laughs> and and um, sometimes you need somebody to step in and say, whoa, dude, let's, you know, ease up on the, the throttle here. And, yeah. You know, because I would find that, you know, you get home and like, 10 o'clock at night and like dude no restaurants are open there's nothing to eat and you come back to like a quiet house and it's it's depressing yeah you know and then you kind of have to step back and go whoa what am i what am i doing here yep um so beginning to understand like how you work um is really important to managing your longevity i think in any business yeah not just surfboard manufacturing um yeah, you lose the plot sometimes. Yeah, you lose. That's exactly it. You lose. Yeah. You lose the plot. It's like the whole reason why I'm here doing what I'm doing. <laughs> if I'm not able to give it my best, if I'm not able to give the relationships in my life the best version of me and Vulcan the best quali- uh, design insight and all that sort of stuff, then there's no point at all. No. You know? Yeah, I've struggled with a lot of the same stuff. Spreading yeah. myself too thin and not yeah. enjoying. 
yeah. it and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think surfing, as I don't know, um, hokey as that sounds, it is kind of the solution. No, you know? Know. exactly. It's like it's almost like a worn out platitude, but you know, it, it does really help. I mean, it's, it is very therapeutic. Yeah. Um, that can be tough too, though. Like even you know, especially in Southern California, we all know that it's there's like a I don't know. A, the duality that exists with surfers. The notion, I think, for outside people is, is that they're, you know, really easygoing. I mean, we know that you know, surfers are extraordinarily territorial. Territorial. They can be very aggressive, you know, and very confrontational. Um, so yeah, that can be tough too. <laughs> yeah, but I've I've reset an affirmation recently, which is just like surf every day. Yeah. You know, and it might not end up being every day, but it's like the the reason why I set that is. I wake up and I think of my laundry list of things to do and surfing gets put on the back burner unless the waves are pumping. Yeah. So, and then it got even worse where it's like, well, the waves are actually, they're swell, but the wind's funky or they're swell, but it's the wrong direction or they're swell, but it's the wrong tide. (laughs) So I'm making all these qualifications to basically not surf. And so the new affirmation is just like, Hey, it actually doesn't matter if the waves are good at all. Just get in the water yeah get in the sunlight feel the cold water and if you get a one foot wave great if you get a good wave great it doesn't it's just the the ritual of going through it that actually informs the rest of my life you know yeah it, 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 it's really awesome that way and it just staying and whether you get waves or not just being out in the ocean i think feeling yes. being in it and being connected with it um is yeah in and of itself that can be very important i know like when i travel like if i, if I go uh if I travel to surf, um, my days of show up and blow up are like long behind me. Right. But I like to just get in the water and, and you feel like the energy and you feel the rhythm of things. I don't, sometimes I don't even surf like I the know. first day. I know. And just get in the groove of things. Okay. And, and yeah, it's like, wow, okay, now I'm, I'm feeling more in tune with my environment. Definitely my, my vibes are more equalized. So, yeah, I think it's important just to be out there. It's it's funny. I've had to, like, redefine what surfing is because it's not standing up on the wave and ripping anymore. It's more of what you just said. Yeah. It's the ritual of just getting in the water. Right. That's what surfing is for yeah. me, you know. Um, I'm curious. Uh, you talk about you writing your boards to get the feedback, the design feedback, and then applying that into the new design and refining it. Do you get feedback from team writers or anything like that, or is it mainly just your own feedback? Well, here's the thing, um, and for whatever reason, I, I think it's been really tough to connect with uh, really like top level surfers. And I'm very keen to have like a top level guy surf a Vulcan. I think for the most part, though, they look at it the same way a lot of people do: is like, "Well, is this a novelty, or is this really for real, or is the, are these things just ornamental?" Um, I, I would really like to have a proof of concept uh, with somebody. Um, and, you know, come close. I, I worked with Daniel Jones for a little while, and uh, I found like we were, we were making some progress, and then he had a, a really bad injury, um, and that kind of ended that. And, I, and he's shaping boards too, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. shaping them, and they look rad. That's, that's, that's totally cool. Um, but, it, yeah, I just... Yeah, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. But you have to be, you have to be careful with that. Like, you really have to know what your market is. And I feel like I, I really know what my market is. And if if you're getting feedback from like, you know, a professional level guy with the idea that 
you're going to focus your effort in building a board specifically for him. Well, guess what, man? It's not going to be practical for the rest of the 98% of the people that you know are struggling to even get into a wave. So true. So that can be a tremendous folly. Um, and not only that, like, you know, you want to build, like, a high-performance board. Man, understand that, like, by the time that, let's say you do build, like, the ultimate high-performance surfboard, okay? First off, take a look at your competition, all right? And then realize, by the time the average surfer, um, well, he's no longer average, but by the time a surfer gets to the ability that he can fully exercise the capabilities of that high-performance board, dude, he's not paying anything for it. Right. Okay. So now where's your market? You got to understand like all these things. And this goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like, you know, this being a business and in running that way and knowing who your market is and where you're going. Like you got to have like, you got to, you got to know what your plan is, know where you're going and like revisit that constantly and like stick to your guns. And yeah, that can be a a big waste of time. (laughs) Well, so the flip side of that question is, um, do you ride anybody else's boards? Yeah, so you know, I work with um, I work with a number of different people. I've kind of like I've narrowed it down to like a small group of people that um, they're like me. They don't build a lot of boards. The boards that they do build are very important boards, um, and you know, I like that because nothing that I've ever done has been about mass production. Uh, it's always been about perfection. I have a massive investment in achieving perfection. I have a tremendous interest in producing something, in how we talked earlier, and isolating certain principles, and producing something exactly the same, holding all other factors constant, and changing one variable, okay? Um, and finding out how that one variable affects you know, the overall equation. Mm-hmm. Um, so in helping other people who have a like mind uh, that understand that I think being a successful shaper today, being like a modern shaper, incorporates using all the tools in the box. I'm talking about your planner, your screens, if it's, you know, CAD CAM, the machine, whatever. Um, we're evaluating parameters now that like you could never do by hand. I'm not saying that like one is better than the other. I'm saying that it's important to have a knowledge of all the tools in the box. Sure. So um, I've ridden uh, Ryan Birch's boards. Oh, okay. Um, I saw one in the office over there. Yeah, exactly. That was one we uh, Ryan shaped, and uh, it's uh, as far as I know, it's one of the few, if not the only, EPS epoxy uh, stringerless birches. Uh, and I love the board. It's phenomenal. I mean, it isn't just that Ryan's a phenomenal surfer. They're fantastic boards, too. Sure. <laughs> um, and um, recently started working with uh, with Derek Disney. And um, he's got some great ideas. He's got some really cool ideas. Is he shaping? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know. Most people don't. He's, he's really, like, low-key, right? And um, I'm... Overall, I'm not sure what his ambition is, uh, how industrial it is, but it, uh, it, he's he's got some really cool ideas. Hmm. And uh, I, he, I brought in one of his boards. I'm like, dude, can I you know can I try that? And um, something totally different than what I would have made. And uh, the concave was insane. I'm talking like you know Maurice 
coal like on steroids is just nuts. But the thing was, it was rad. I mean, it was way too small for me. But you know, once I got it into some good waves, it was like, whoa, this hmm. is pretty cool. So yeah, you learn a lot. His approach to surfing is so unique that I could I could see him exploring extreme design elements. Yeah, and he's got this um, he's got this cool flex tail that he does, and um, although the board I, I surfed didn't have that feature. Um, talking to him about you know doing me a board he's he's been pretty busy i think he's back and then he's leaving pretty quick here on a trip um so hopefully i can get a, a shape in there somewhere along the line um so yeah i, I surfed those different boards but not a lot honestly okay. just a, a few people i'd surfed um early on to daniel thompson's boards um and i'll just say right now you know i was hugely influenced uh by Daniel, I was so impressed. Um, that relationship kind of went horribly wrong, but uh, I was nevertheless influenced um, by him, and I think that he's a phenomenal shaper and he's got tremendous ideas. A phenomenal surfer too. It's a phenomenal surfer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you talk about um, he's a guy who could ride anything, so it's kind of like his boards. They look great because he's shredding on them, you know? Yeah. So over the years, obviously, now enough people have ridden the boards to where you can vet how they work for the average surfer. Yeah. But early on, it's like, damn. Yeah. No kidding. Like, yeah. Those boards look incredible. Yeah, totally. Um, if you could have a board shaped by anybody on the planet, like, what would you have made for yourself and by whom? Um. Gary has done, Gary Linden has done, you know, a number of these balsa and agave guns. Um, you know, I worked on one of the agave ones, kind of made me sick. Um, I, maybe like an agave gun, just because like I know I don't like working with the material, but I think they're amazing once once they're made. And, yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by like the big wave stuff because it's it's something I'll never do. Really? Um, yeah. But I would, In terms of surfing or yeah. building? Yeah. No, in terms of surfing, yeah, and so and I don't venture into that realm. I don't claim to be a you know big wave, yeah, uh, guy. So you know, but I'm fascinated with uh, the boards and you know the design principles, and I've worked with a number of guys that you know build boards for the big wave tour. Um, so I would say either one of Gary's boards, one of his balsas, or one of the gobbies, or you know, I remember um, a few years back, um, Billy made that redwood gun. Uh, it was pretty insane. It was amazing. Who did? Billy Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I would say, like, just just to have something like that, just an amazing piece of craftsmanship would be incredible. I think that would probably be it. Yeah. Um, I, I've often felt like there's more room for improvement in big wave paddle boards yeah. th from a design standpoint yeah. than any other aspect of surfing. Yeah. You know, like those... They're really in this little tight little corner of like you need a ton of foam to paddle into these waves and to go fast, but they're so immovable. You yeah. know, they're not maneuverable once you get on a wave. Yeah. So there's got to be design elements that we could come up with that will allow guys to do turns right. or, or whatever. I know, and that's like they're, they're pulling in now, you know, and they're right. starting to like explore that territory and explore different parts of the wave. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, that's a gnarly thing, though. I mean, it's it's uh, it's. I think the development in that area is going to be a really, really slow. I remember it is. <laughs> we did a 
man, a while back, it was a few years ago, we did a, a gun, and it had a one-inch thick pine stringer. Um, and while we were milling it, I the the stringer literally burst into flames. What? It was insane. It was it was, dude. It was such a fiasco. Um, anyways, uh, we put so much work into this board, and uh, I think it was for Mark Ely. Anyways, I was meant to understand it was broke like on the first wave. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it was just the um, the friction that caught fire. Yeah, yeah. And I was running coolant feed on it too, and uh, it just, it bur- literally burst into flames. I couldn't believe it. Freakish. So then we had to mill all of that damage out, and it was just wow. That was a that was a process. Wow. Um, yeah, the design will be slow to develop because number one, those waves don't break that often, and then number two, who wants to take a brand new yeah, design out, dude, totally. and risk their life? Man, now you, you so know? don't want to be like rolling the dice. Yeah. Like you want to know, you want to go with what you know. Like, so that's sketchy, dude. That's really sketchy. Yeah, very gnarly. <laughs> um, you obviously surf a lot. What is your current relationship like with surfing? Um, it's um. It's a management issue because um, I, I surf like at least three days a week, if not four or five days a week. Uh, but I had a really serious injury uh, 17 years ago, and um, it's it's coming home to roost now. Oh, I had my, no. Yeah, I had my left leg amputated and surgically re- reattached at the knee. What? Yeah. And, was um, it a surf accident? No, it was a motorcycle accident. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I've had five uh five total reconstructions three vascular surgeries uh it's been a long 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 road uh my knee's pretty much shot and right now i'm i exist on a synvisc and cortisone every three months uh just so i can i can you know keep doing it um so it's yeah it's kind of a tough one it's a management issue yeah yeah. That's still a lot of surfing, though. Yeah, it is. I need to understand, like, when I surf, though, like, all the forces, I need to know exactly what forces are going to be applied to my knee at any given time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, yeah, I'm still out there, and it's uh, it's awesome. And, of course, you know, we know that that's an integral part of, of doing this, Yeah. Uh, at least in, in my definition. We opened up the conversation by talking about how much your influence has grown based on Instagram. Yes. Um, who do you follow? Who do you like on Instagram? Um, gosh, there's a, um, within the surf industry or just in general? Shoot. I'd be curious at both actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like, so in the, in the surf industry, like I, you know, I, I obviously I follow like, um, all the people that I'm friends with, like Ryan and, and Derek and, um, my friend Nick, um, Corey Graham, Ash Ward, um, Davy Sky, uh, he's doing some amazing epoxy boards. They're just so tight looking; it, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of people I willfully ignore, honestly. Yeah. Um, outside, like I don't know, I'm super interested in like uh, the movie industry. Like I follow these really cool accounts for um, special effects, and uh, these guys that make uh, all the crazy like horror stuff up in Hollywood. That's rad. I'm, I'm fully into that. Um. Yeah, I didn't know you're really into movies. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. Really? Yeah. How do you feel about surf films? Has there been any, like it's kind of been a lament of mine on this show where it's yeah. just like, dude, I grew up loving surf film, right? And now stuff sucks. Yeah, you know, um, honestly, I just I, I really I tuned out of it 
because yeah, me too. Uh, I was seeing a lot of stuff that it just it, I wasn't I wasn't interested in it. I felt like it was kind of spazzy and like it just I, I don't know. It was it was surfing that I really couldn't relate to. I just saw a movie though that I thought was amazing, and um, it was by Deuce. It was uh, South of Cyan, and um, I just liked the whole vibe of it, you know. And it was I don't know. It just I liked the the surfing. I liked the fact that the two guys that were in it like had a very broad repertoire. I mean, I'm talking fishes to mid-lengths to longboards to body surfing to finless even. Um, you know, it, south of Cyan. South, south to Cyan. South to Cyan. Yeah, I Got watched it. it on Apple. As a matter of fact, I've I bought the movie and I've been telling people, dude, if you, it was so funny because I was. Um, telling uh, all these people like yeah this movie is amazing you gotta watch this it's just so cool it's really it's soul and like you know this, I don't want to make it sound like an ad for Deuce but I mean it was a really good movie mm-hmm. and um, it made you want to get out there and surf it was right. so cool and uh, the adventure you know and the exploration and um, I saw a guy paddle out uh, at the point and he was wearing a Deuce wetsuit and I said hey you know, how do you like that thing he's oh it's, it's pretty cool and it's like yeah so, well, yeah, I, I work for Deuce. I said, no shit, I just watched that movie. It was incredible. And I've been telling everybody about it. So I know, I would check that out. I, I really was impressed. I will check it out. Who are the two surfers? Um, let's see. It's, I think that their inf- Deuce, Deuce's influence is greater maybe in Australia and Bali and stuff like that. Yeah. Like their stuff seems huge, but for some reason doesn't... Uh, I don't know. It doesn't show up in Southern California very often, even though they have a shop in, like, Venice. Right. You know? Yeah, and that's where this guy was from. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. They had dirt bikes in it, too. I mean, this this, I mean, this thing, this movie was, like, tailor-made for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harrison Roach and Zy Norris. I don't know who Zy Norris is. I know Harrison Roach, though. That guy shreds. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's really impressive. And, yeah. like... Just the atmosphere of the movie, yeah, uh, was really cool, and it had a very, um, a really chill kind of romantic atmosphere of like exploring and mm-hmm. like discovery. And I think the premise was is like trying to you know explore and be outside of like um, the confines of uh, like the guardrails of life, yeah, you know, and getting getting out there and having these experiences like outside of the world of foam corner protectors and fire retardant paper so it was, it was really cool i liked it yep you know that's kind of what the world is outside of southern california yeah our little southern california <laughs> bubble here we forget but that is what it's like out there yeah um the final question i always have for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode um the last surfboard i rode was a one that uh it was a prototype uh that i designed for a trip i just took down to el salvador uh it's a 5.7 variant fish uh, based off my hexafish. So more pulled in, um, more like a rocket fish, the jet tail. And I wanted it to surf in, in bigger like conditions, um, and, you know, for points. So it was perfect for El Salvador. Uh, I surfed it and everything from, you know, waist high to overhead. And it was a great board. So I'm going to be adding that. Um, Either the Vulcan lineup, or um, I was recently approached by uh, a newly formed company that uh, is wanting to pull in a collective of shapers to design boards, and I'm looking really seriously at this, and uh, could be 
could be another vehicle for, for my shapes, so I'm stoked about that. Um, along those lines, how does a listener get a Vulcan? Um, you call me. Um, Perfect. I, everything is by custom order. Um, I work with very few shops. Um, so, yeah, call or email. Um, you'll speak directly with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, we there's really not much that I can't build. I have a few things I won't do, but, you know, <laughs> by and large, like, really about, like, trying different things and different laminations. And, yeah. Perfect. Dane, of course, did not leave his phone number there, but you can find it on his website, surfvulcan.com, or, of course, on Instagram, at Vulcan Surf, and then I'll have all of that stuff on surfsplendorpodcast.com, so you can just link to it from our website. Check out all the boards that we talked about, the convex construction, um, the surf films, all of it. It's on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And also feel free to leave a comment there for Dane if you comment i'll make sure that uh he sees it and yeah like i always say this conversation isn't just between myself and the guest it's a communal thing so um engage there or you can feel free to engage on instagram too at surf splendor makes it a great place to share it with friends too because you could just tag them or whatever and then of course um on instagram if you rate and review the show on instagram that helps other people to find it which in turn helps the show to grow which in turn attracts bigger and bigger guests we get guys like dane who actually want to participate and devote an hour of their life to this show because uh, it helps spread their influence. So help this show to grow, and we will keep getting awesome guests like that. All right? Thank you so much. Um, the other way that you can help this show grow is just by making a donation. We have a $5 monthly subscription that you could sign up for or just one-time donation. Anything. Any little bit helps. All right? That's enough of my pandering. I'll be back next week with a new episode of Spit with Scott Bass. If you haven't already subscribed to that feed, do it right now. Open up your podcasting app that you're listening in, search for Spit, and then click subscribe. That way you can ensure that you find all future episodes because it eventually will only be available on that feed, no longer on this feed. All right? Thanks for everything. This is David Scales. Until I connect with you next week, just reminding you, get back in the ocean. Get a couple of waves and shred on.